Our scripture reading this afternoon will come from several places in scripture. First of all, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 through 24. All of the uh, scripture readings this uh, afternoon are in connection with Lord's Day 35, dealing with the second commandment, uh, the prohibition against the making of idols or graven images. So Deuteronomy 4, verses 1 through 24. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them, that you may live, and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor, for the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you, you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of, of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven, wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And He declared to you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And He wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules, that you might do them in the land that you were going over to possess. Therefore, watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, beware, lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun and the moon and the stars, all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, things that the Lord your God has allotted to all the peoples under the whole heaven. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be a people of His own inheritance, as you are this day. Therefore the Lord was angry with me because of you, and He swore that I should not cross the Jordan, and that I should not enter the good land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. For I must die in this land. I must not go over the Jordan. 
but you shall go over and take possession of that good land. Take care, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which He made with you, and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. So far from Deuteronomy, let's also turn to uh, the prophecy of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 40, and there we'll read verses 12 through 31. Isaiah 40, verse 12. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of His hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? Or what man shows Him counsel? Whom did He consult, and who made Him understand? Who taught Him the path of justice, and taught Him knowledge, and showed Him the way of understanding? Behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket, and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust. Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor are its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing and emptiness. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold, and casts for it silver chains. He who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. Scarcely are they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth when he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. To whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these. He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might. And because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God? Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So far from Isaiah, and then finally we'll turn to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 1, and we'll read verses 18 through 32. Romans 1 verse 18. 
For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. So far the reading of God's Word. Every Lord's Day in the afternoon service, we turn to the Heidelberg Catechism, the uh, doctrine uh, confessed by this church and a summary of the Christian faith. And this afternoon we find ourselves in Lord's Day 35 of the Catechism. That's on page 552 of your Books of Praise, if you wish to follow along. This is dealing with the second commandment, and the question is, what does God require in the second commandment? We are not to make an image of God in any way, nor to worship Him in any other manner than He has commanded in His Word. May we then not make any image at all. God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Creatures may be portrayed, but God forbids us to make or have any images of them in order to worship them or to serve God through them. But may images not be tolerated in the churches as books for the laity. No, for we should not be wiser than God. He wants His people to be taught not by means of dumb images, but by the living preaching of His Word. So far, the reading of the Catechism. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, as we consider now the second commandment of the law of God, we want to remember again our our big theme that's going to carry through the whole of the Ten Commandments. We saw this last time as well, that God has set us free in order for us to live as a free people. 
Uh, the law is given for this purpose, and we want to understand this well. It's given not to restrict us, uh, to, to withhold good from us, but rather to give us what is better, to keep us from what will destroy us, to give us what gives us life to show us how to live as a free people under the love and favor of God, the way that we are created to live. So we want to hold that in in our minds as we study also this, the second commandment. Uh, It may be seen as one of the more restrictive commandments, particularly uh, in the way that the Catechism describes it. We are not to worship Him in any other manner than He's commanded in His Word. It feels restrictive. But God is giving this commandment for our good, and we want to be able to see that as we study the commandments. Uh, that being said, then, with regards to this, the, the second commandment, we want to begin by asking why is this commandment even here in the law in the first place? Uh, at a first glance, when you read this, it might seem like this is really just an extension of the first commandment that you shall have no other gods but me. Uh, Even uh, the songs that we sang earlier this afternoon, referring to idols, to graven images, seems to refer primarily to the worship of other gods. And so why is this here as as a separate commandment? Uh, And and then the second question we want to ask, if this is indeed a separate commandment, then what's the big deal with images? Now, why are carved images such a big problem in the eyes of God that, that God devotes an entire commandment to this issue? That's our goal for this afternoon. Think through uh, what exactly is being taught here in this commandment, why it's here, uh, and then why does this issue matter to God? And as we work through that, uh, we also want to see the positive side of the commandment. God not only forbids something here, but He commands something here, and we want to see that as well. In the first place, then, we want to see the difference between this commandment and the first one. At a first glance, they seem to be talking about the same thing, but there is actually a very important difference. The first commandment has to do with what or who we worship, and the second has to do with how we worship. Uh, So the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, that has to do with who we worship. The second, you shall not make an image of God uh, in order to worship it, or that is to say to worship God through it. That has to do with how we worship. An example of this sort of thing can be found in the story of the golden calf. If you remember this from Exodus 32, uh, the, uh, Moses was up on Mount Sinai listening to God. He was up there for a long time, 40 days and 40 nights, uh, to the point that the Israelites concluded Moses probably must have died up there on the mountain. And so they go to Aaron and they, they say to Aaron, make us gods who shall go before us. Uh, And so, if you remember what happens, Aaron goes around the camp and he asks for everyone's gold earrings and bracelets and uh, whatnot. Uh, and And he melts it all down and makes for them a golden calf and says to them, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. 
Now, in our English Bibles, if you were to read that story, it's, it says, these are our gods, in the, in the plural. Uh, but the original Hebrew word is actually the same word as the singular God. It, it's, it's one of those unique words, English has a few of them as well, uh, where the singular sounds like a plural. So we have it with words like scissors or pants. It's, it's referring to one item, uh, and yet it's a plural uh, word, a uh, plural noun. Uh, and that's what's happening here as well in, in Exodus 32 as it tells the story. What the people were asking from Aaron uh, is, is not make us gods in the plural, but make us God who shall go before us. And you can, you can see that that's the case because Aaron makes one idol, one God. Uh, and then when Aaron makes the calf, uh, he presents it to the people and he says, Behold your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Well, so what's going on there? It's not that uh, Aaron and the people of Israel have started worshiping other gods. It's that they're worshiping the true God, the one who brought them out of Egypt, but by means of an image of a calf, something that God had strictly forbidden. That's the issue here that the second commandment is dealing with. Uh, The first then, you shall not worship other gods. The second is, you shall not make an image of God in order to worship it or to worship God through it. So that then leaves us with our our second question. Why is this such an important issue to God? Now, clearly this is something that God regards as very important. Listen again to the words of God in, in Deuteronomy 4, verse 15 to 18 where God says through Moses, Therefore watch yourselves very carefully, since you saw no form on the day that the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Beware lest you act corruptly by making an image of God for yourselves in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, or any animal on the earth, or any winged bird that flies in the air, or anything that creeps on the ground, or any fish from the water under the earth. Uh, Again, verse 23 of the same chapter. Take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God which He made with you and make a carved image, the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Clearly, this issue matters to God. Uh, And actually, from those very same verses, we can get a hint, at least, of why this issue matters to God. God says to the people, since you saw no form, but only heard a voice, beware lest you act corruptly by making a carved image for yourself in the form of any figure. Uh, The issue here is that God had presented Himself to His people by His Word. He didn't give them a visible form. He gave them His voice, and He wants them to hear His voice. Uh, No visible form can portray God as He is. If it could, God would have done so. But God gave them His voice because that's how they will know God. Uh, By speaking then to us with His voice and not giving us a visible form, God's making it clear to us that He is beyond anything that visible forms, that pictures or images can portray. Uh, Every visible form reduces the majesty of God into that of a creature. And God calls that corruption. Uh, So He expressly forbids 
any image and even goes through a detailed list of the kinds of things that we might excuse ourselves and say, well, this is okay to make an image of God in this form. God says, absolutely not. Uh, Thinking again about that that, uh, incident of the golden calf, perhaps that can help us also to understand why God detests this sort of thing. Uh, Images of calves were one of the most commonly used images to to portray the gods uh, in the ancient world. Uh, Because a calf, uh, and here we should think of like a year-old male calf, a big, strong animal. Uh, A calf represented strength and power. But is God like that? Is God like a calf? No, of course not. God's strength is not like a calf's strength. God's strength is something altogether different. Uh, Moreover, where in a calf, you know that that animal that sticks its tongue up its nose, where in a calf do you see an image of God? Do you see God's uh, majesty, God's goodness, God's mercy? Where in a a calf do you see God's holiness? Uh, No, God is unlike a calf. It, it, It is what God says, a corruption of God. Uh, God chose himself uh, chose to, to reveal himself by his word because by that means uh, even if we don't have the nice picture of God that we might like to have in our minds at least by his word we can know him as he truly is. God is spiritual uh, and words words can communicate spiritual truths that pictures cannot portray. You can't make an image of righteousness. It doesn't look like anything. Uh, But you can speak about it with your words and accurately describe it. You can't make an image of love. Love is not a a visible thing that you can hold in your hands and say, this is what it looks like. But you can describe it with your words. That is uh, how God also chooses to reveal himself. God is spiritual and will not be depicted uh, with physical images. And we see the same thing in, in the prophecy we read from Isaiah. Uh, almost a thousand years after Moses, we find Isaiah speaking uh, God's word to, to Israel and dealing with the exact same issue that Moses had dealt with a thousand years before. Israel had corrupted themselves, had made images of God uh, in, in order to worship uh, God through those images, and as well as bowing down to all the hosts of heaven, uh, exactly what God had forbidden. Uh, and and God's, what God says to Israel uh, through Isaiah uh, is key to understanding why God so detests the making of images. Uh, he asks the question, to whom will you liken God? To whom will you liken God? Uh, what can you possibly think of to say God is like that? God, God looks like that. Can we think of any example? Well, the problem is the only thing that we have to draw from our uh, to, to draw from is our own experience on earth. To whom? To what will you liken God? And how many people in our own culture today uh, have, have this sick image of God as as an old man with a big long white beard? It's how some people talk about God, the the old man upstairs. Well, in reality, that is sick. That is that is twisted. It's what God calls corrupted. God is not like that. That image fails to represent God as he is. 
And so the prophet Isaiah asks, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, or marked off the heavens with a span, or enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance? Have you? Have you gone down into, into the Mariana Trench and measured the depths there, counted all the liters of water that are there? Have you run a measuring tape over the skies to, to measure how big they are? Uh, Have you gone up and measured the mountains and and weighed them in a scale? Of course not. Uh, We are infinitesimally small. Who are we to say, this is Isaiah's point, who are we to say, this is what God is like? This will be a good picture of God. Uh, To make an image of God, then, it's not only arrogant and not only blasphemous, but it's also deadly to our souls. Why? Because, as we saw last week, we were made for God. Our souls were made to find their satisfaction in God. God made us to know Him in His perfect glory and gave us His Word to teach us to know Him. If we choose to walk away from God's Word, to ignore God's Word... And to reconstruct an image of God in our own minds according to our own likeness and our own desires and preferences, you lose God. That image that you have is not God. We exchange the truth of God for for the darkness and smallness and emptiness of our own minds. That's why this commandment is so important to ask the question, how will you think of God? Will, will, you turn, uh, your own, uh, will you turn Him into your own image that you have of Him, made in the likeness of you and of your desires? Or will you know Him as He truly is? Uh, an image of God, according to our own uh, imagination, is not only blasphemous to Him, it is ruinous to our very souls. So remember again the theme here in the Ten Commandments. We are set free to live free. Uh, here when this commandment was given, God's people had just been delivered from, from, from all the darkness and misery of Egypt. But the slavery of their souls, we, we talked about that as we dealt with the first commandment, how their very souls were held in slavery to the worship of these pagan foreign false gods. The slavery of their souls and the darkness of their minds uh, is not just eradicated overnight. Much of that darkness still remained in them when, when they stood before Mount Sinai. That, that deep instinct of idolatry, the impulse to have an image of God, to worship that, uh, to reduce God to something of our own understanding, that impulse lived deep within them. That's all they had ever known. Uh, to use the language of, of addiction, uh, it's like the Israelites were experiencing withdrawal symptoms from their idolatry uh, after so many days of not being able to worship their idols. They're beginning to miss the old idols and, and to feel that irresistible urge to, uh, to reduce God again uh, into something that they can manage. And so God expressly forbids it for the sake of His glory and for the sake of their own souls. And brothers and sisters, we need to recognize that that, that old sinful nature, and particularly that, that desire and impulse to reduce God into something that we can manage, uh, it, it still exists within us today. 
And this commandment still remains just as relevant and abiding for us today as it ever did for the Israelites then. God has, has laid down a strict boundary here for the sake of our freedom. Uh, and it's a boundary that we ought to respect. This is why the church under the uh, Reformation has taken such a strong position against those who use graven images in worship, uh, statutes of Jesus or, or of, of the saints. Uh, this is actually a, a very old problem in the Christian church. Pastors like John Chrysostom or St. Augustine uh, were dealing with this problem then, and they too were expressly forbidding the use of graven images in worship. And yet over time, uh, it seems that that impulse to do that uh, has just been irresistible over church history. Uh, And so it's still commonplace in in Roman Catholic traditions and Eastern Orthodox traditions to use graven images as part of, of worship. Uh, And the position that the Reformed Church has taken is we should not be wiser than God here. Uh, Even if you want to argue, as they will, that that we're only making these images to to show reverence to the saints. Uh, We're not bowing down uh, as worship. We're bowing down just to show uh, honor to the saints. or if you're arguing, we're only using them to, to stir up our, our reverence for God, to stir up a sense of piety as, as, as we pray, should we really be wiser than God here? God's commandment is clear. You are not to bow down to graven images. So just obey the command that God has given you for your own good. Do, do you not... Do you think that you are, you are more evolved... Than, than the ancient Israelites who had just come out of Egypt. Uh, th- that you're not primitive like them. That that old world of idolatry couldn't possibly seize on to your heart. No, just, just stay away from it. God has forbidden this sort of thing because God loves you. And God wants you to be free from that whole world. Again, the Roman Catholic Church, they may, con- uh, they may claim that uh, we don't bow down to images out of, out of worship. Uh, we don't worship God even through the images. It's, it's just reverence and respect. Uh, but what actually happens in practice? Uh, that may be their theology that they teach at the Vatican. What happens in practice in, in the small town cities in Brazil? Uh, or in the minds of the common parishioner who, who's kissing that image uh, in his church? Uh, or praying directly to that image standing in front of him? Or, or staring in the face of that image of the Virgin Mary to try and contemplate the face of God? Do they understand that distinction? Uh, experience suggests otherwise. No, we should obey God on this issue. Your Father, who loves you and wants you to know Him, says stay away from images as far as worship is concerned. And so we should take that seriously. But you know, brothers and sisters, that the old darkness of of Egypt still exists within our hearts today as well, uh, sometimes in more subtle ways. And even if we don't make a, a physical carved image of God, do we perhaps nonetheless make for ourselves these mental images of God uh, according to our own preferences and designs. Now listen again to Deuteronomy 4, verse 2. This comes right before the prohibition to uh, making images. Deuteronomy 4, verse 2, he says, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. 
It's entirely possible for us to make an image of God in our own minds, not, not as a visual uh, image or, or a carved image, but a reconstruction of God according to our own designs by picking and choosing what to listen to from God's Word and what not to listen to. Or, or by adding to God's Word what God did not say. Or by reinterpreting God's Word to fit with the culture and the times according to our own preferences. If we ever begin with the thought, uh, here's how I would like to think about God, and then we go to God's Word, picking and choosing what we need to do to arrive at that preference then we're committing the same fundamental sin here. We're letting our imagination or our preferences stand over and above God's Word. Uh, We are arrogating ourselves above God, saying, this is how God will be as far as I'm concerned. I will determine what God is like. Uh, And that, brothers and sisters, that is darkness. It's the same darkness that the Israelites uh, had living in their hearts and minds when they stood at the foot of Mount Sinai. Uh, The the same inclination of the human heart. And we need to recognize that darkness does lurk within our hearts as well. Though by God's grace, we have come a long ways. We have uh, come a long ways from, from where Israel was then, uh, deep in that, in that withdrawal, withdrawal stage uh, of their addiction, uh, which, which then showed up in that relapse uh, in Exodus 32, the, the golden calf. Yet we want to recognize that that old darkness uh, that wants to make God according to our preferences, that seeks to draw God down to the level of a creature, conforming to our expectations, that darkness does lurk within us as well. What might be some examples? Well, for some, it might be remaking God into an impersonal God. This is the God of, of much of the modern world where people believe in God, but not so much as, as a personal God who gets involved with the details of our lives, who, who reaches into our world and, and wants relationship with us. No, they prefer a God who's, who's out there somewhere, who's far away, who, yeah, he governs over the universe in some measure, but he's, he's out there. He's there when I need him, uh, but, but otherwise I don't have to have anything to do with him. Uh, Thomas Jefferson, one of the leading founders of the United States of America as a country, uh, was known to rip out pages of his Bible uh, according to his own preferences until he arrived at a God that conformed to his uh, expectations and sensibilities. That was a God who who does no miracles, uh, who doesn't ever intervene in history, uh, but who's just simply out there. He started the whole thing by, by creating a creation, uh, setting up the natural laws, and since then he's kind of just kept his hands out. Well, there are many in our culture who think of God in that very way. Or to give another example, there's the indulgent God, the God of, of, of now our postmodern culture who affirms the God who's always uh, approving. Uh, the God who's just nice. He's all love and he only ever approves uh, and affirms my choices. He doesn't judge me. He enables me. He, he exists for, for my affirmation and, and in order to bless my choices. Brothers and sisters, that too is darkness. It's not light. It's not truth. It's the darkness and smallness of our own minds turning away from God. 
It's a temptation that runs very deep uh, in, in, in our fallen nature to portray God and imagine God according to our own expectations and then to worship Him accordingly instead of coming to Him on His own terms as He's revealed Himself. But that's a return to darkness. It's something God is calling us away from. God saying, uh, I'm calling you to know me, to know me as I am. Resist the urge to redefine me as you think I am or as you'd like me to be. Come to know me as I truly am. True freedom uh, is always uh, being the person God has made you to be in fellowship with Him, knowing Him as He truly is. Uh, even where, and particularly where, His character might confront and not conform uh, with our desires, our habits, our impulses, and our pride. True freedom is in exactly those moments saying, I will turn from my darkness and I will turn to the light of God's Word. And that brings us to uh, the, the positive side of this commandment that we also want to see. Uh, if the prohibition is that we are to not make images with which to worship God, because God has revealed Himself in His Word uh, and, and not by a visible form, then the positive side to this commandment is know God as He truly is from His Word, by listening to His voice. Now listen again to Deuteronomy 4, verse 5. Uh, God says, See, I have taught you statutes and rules, as the Lord my God has commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. Brothers and sisters, do you hear the beauty of what God is saying there? Uh, what God is saying is, is, look, I'm giving you, Israel, I'm giving you a treasure that no other nation possesses, the truth, the knowledge of God. Don't trade that in for dumb idols. Uh, yes, for the immediate future, it's going to be awkward. You're going to feel uh, an immense temptation to revert back to that old idolatry because that's all you've ever known. And, and it's compounded by the fact that all the nations around you are doing the same thing. They all have their idols. So you might feel silly for the time being, worshiping a God that nobody can see, uh, which is so unlike the world around you. But what God is saying is this word, these commandments that I'm giving you, if you keep them and do them, that is going to be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of all the nations. That will speak for itself. In other words, as you ponder the word of God and as you come to know God through the word, you'll experience your life being transformed by the word as you're brought into obedience. And here's the key you will become the image of God in this world. As you are conformed to His Word, you will become the living, breathing image of God. Not a deaf, dumb, mute image, but a living, breathing image of that which cannot be portrayed in pictures. His righteousness, His holiness, His love will become visible in your life so that the world can turn and truly see God in you and say, wow, that is a great, wise, understanding people. 
You will have nothing. In other words, God is saying you'll have nothing to be ashamed of when you listen to the word of God and are transformed by that word. You will need to make no defense for yourself for for having uh, no visible images. Your beauty and your wisdom will speak for itself and the world is going to see it. That's what God is calling us to in this commandment as well. Rather than trusting in your own wisdom, trust in the wisdom of God's word and it will give you great honor. Uh, It will earn you more respect in the sight of the world than all of their deaf and dumb idols ever will. It's true, the world may still speak ill of you. Uh, we saw that often in, in our letter, in our sermons on the letter to, to uh, the letter from Peter. Uh, the Christians in the Roman Empire were regarded as atheists by their culture for the very same reason that they didn't have a visible God in, in their uh, temples or, or, or synagogues. Uh, by the way, that, that incidentally, that uh, uh, shows that the early church also did not worship. Uh, they didn't have physical statues of Jesus or, or the saints. Otherwise, they would not have been so accused of, of being atheists. The very reason why they were so accused is because they didn't have uh, images. Uh, but the apostle Peter tells them not to be ashamed of that. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. That's the image of God the world will get to see in you. It's exactly the same message here in Deuteronomy 4. Let your lives, being shaped and molded by the word of God, let your lives be the image of God that the world gets to see. Let a life of righteousness, of mercy, of holiness, of peace, of compassion, of gentleness, of wisdom, of honor, be the image of God in your midst. An idol can never portray the character of God, but your lives... As they are brought into conformity with God's word, your lives can portray the character of God. And and this was God's intention from the very beginning, wasn't it? That man and woman created in God's image, uh, that is, in righteousness and holiness, uh, that man would be the image of God in this world. That's what's so striking about the creation of, uh, of man and woman in Genesis 1 and 2. For all the, the, the prohibitions on making images of God, you see them throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, all these prohibitions against making images, and, and yet God himself made an image of God. He made man in God's image. It was man, though, that exchanged that dignity, that, that, that image in which he was created, uh, the glory of the immortal God for the image of corruptible things. That's what Paul explains in, in Romans 1. And he worshipped and served creatures rather than the creator. And what happens is the very image of God in which man was made is degraded, is corrupted, to the point that God gives man over to his debased mind. Shameful uh, passions, degrading actions. You lose the glory in which you were made. Now, on one level, to be sure, man still bears something of that dignity. He is still, uh, his life is still sacred to God. You see that in Genesis 9. You see it elsewhere in Scripture. Man still, uh, in some measure, bears that dignity uh, and, and shows some remnants, too, of that original glory. But man has profoundly degraded and corrupted what God had made beautiful and perfect. 
Well, brothers and sisters, here's where we need to see Christ in this commandment. Uh, because after God made, his ima- made man in his image, and then man uh, and woman fell from that glory, God did not then say, well, I've lost my image, so I'm going to resort to the next best thing, and, and I'll tell them how to make a good enough image of me uh, that they can use in worship. No, in the the fullness of time, God gave his son, the image of God, the new Adam, the new man, uh, and the perfect man who is once again the image of God in this world. Uh, The image, in fact, that Adam never was. Uh, He is the word of God made flesh. He's all the righteousness and holiness and purity of God embodied on earth. In Him, then, in Christ, we get to see the character of God as He truly is. This is something that the Gospel of John, in particular, really draws out, how you see the image of God uh, in Christ. At the very beginning of the Gospel, opens uh, this way in John 1, verse 14, "...the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth." Grace and truth. Those are the characters and attributes of God. And that's the image of Him that Christ was. God sent His Son, His perfect image, into a world full of idolaters and darkness to shine forth the truth and the image of God again. John says as well, John 1 verse 18, No one has ever seen God. It's the very reason, as we just saw, why we don't make images. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who's at the Father's side, He has made Him known. It's what Paul says as well in in Colossians uh, 1 verse 15. uh, Speaking of Christ, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Or again, Hebrews 1 verse 3, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Here's the point then. Uh, We've seen that God has prohibited making images of Him because every attempt to do so ultimately corrupts uh, the, the image of God uh, that, uh, as He truly is. It uh, falls short of, of His glory, and it only takes us deeper back into that old idolatry. Uh, and so we've seen that instead God calls us to, to see Him, as it were, through His Word. As we listen to His voice, there we'll get to know Him as He is. Uh, and, and God promises that as we do so and as we obey His Word, we ourselves will become the, the image of God so that the world can see Him in us. But we can't do that on our own strength. Because what do we do uh, apart from God's renewing power? We just fall back into that old idolatry, that old darkness. And so God sent His Son to go in front of us to be the image of God for us that we might look to Him and see in Him the character of God. God gave us not an idol, Not a caricature like that calf was in Exodus 32, but a true and perfect image that accurately portrays who God is. Not his physical appearance. Isaiah 53 says there's nothing special about Jesus' physical appearance, but his perfect holiness, his grace, his truth, those you will see in Jesus. 
And the grace of God is that we who belong uh, to Him, who believe in Him, uh, are, are given His Spirit so that we also, as He works within us, we also become renewed, perfected, sanctified images of God in this world. As we listen to His Word, as we follow His Spirit, our lives become the image of God that the world gets to see. So understand then, uh, in summary, understand God's calling for you in this commandment by forbidding what is low and degrading, the image of uh, the, the worship of, of images and idols. God is calling you to what is high and exalting. As we said in the beginning, He's set us free that we might live free, that we might know the, the, the joy of true freedom. And what does that mean for us? It means to know God in His Word, and particularly to know God through Christ, the Word made flesh, uh, to love Him who loved us first in Christ, uh, and to live with Him because we've been brought near to Him in Christ. That means that while looking to Him and listening to Him, uh, we can also more and more begin reflecting uh, that, that perfect image in the world so the world can look to the church, can look to Christians and say, there, there we see the image of God. Amen.